This week's big Game of Thrones feedback show is coming up. But first, I want to take a moment and talk about Forge of Empires. Have you played Forge of Empires? Forge of Empires is a city-building game. And also, one of our sponsors for today's episode in Forge of Empires, you can guide a village through the different epochs of human history from the Stone Age to the future. And through skillful planning on the battlefield, you can expand your sphere of influence and create an impressive empire. What's more, there are continuous content updates to ensure years of fun together with millions of players around the world. And guess what? You can switch between your browser, iOS, and Android devices at any time while you play Forge of Empires. And if you're new to Forge of Empires, we got some great news too. For a limited time, fans and listeners of post-show recaps can go to forgeofempires.com slash rob and get a bonus of $10 worth of diamonds. This is virtual in-game currency. No cash payout, only for new registrations and not transferable. But please remember to download the game, Forge of Empires.com slash Rob, and don't forget the slash Rob in order to get yourself started with a $10 starter package. That's going to give you that virtual in-game currency of 650 diamonds to start building your empire. Simply go to ForgeofEmpires.com slash Rob now, download, install, click Claim Gift, and get your 650 diamonds right from the start at ForgeofEmpires.com slash Rob. Game of Thrones, Season 8, Episode 5, The Bells is over, but we are just getting started answering your feedback questions here on the Game of Thrones post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who are riding in on the white horse. I am Rob Sisterman here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I am doing a lot better than many of the people in Mm. King's Landing. Um, I've, I don't have a lot to complain about compared to many of the individuals who did not make it through the bells. Yes. Okay. We have a, a very big feedback show for you today because uh, we are talking about what all the Game of Thrones fans are talking about. The big Daenerys turn which came in this week's episode, and then we are sitting on the precipice of the Game of Thrones finale this Sunday night. Steven and I will be live after what should be an eventful hour and 20 minutes, to say the least, on the Snow It Alls live on postshowrecaps.com. I'm sure Josh Wiggler will be uh, covering it in great detail on the Hollywood Reporter THR. In real time. In real time? How do you do that? Well, I mean, we're not going to be publishing in real time, but I mean, the episode is airing and my fingers are flying. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just, I'm type, type, typing. I'm basically like transcribing these episodes as they're happening. Mm So uh, nine o'clock is going to roll around on the East Coast on Sunday night. And I'm not going to stop typing until like maybe, uh, I don't know, 9 p.m. the following Sunday. (laughs) It's like a week straight. Yeah. Just wear a a diaper. Dot com slash Game of Thrones for for that i'm gonna need multiple diapers obviously there will (laughs) have to be a diaper change so i should probably just go to the bathroom yeah okay at round howard on twitter uh as well all right so we got a lot of feedback questions uh that we will get to today but josh uh i think we just need to open open it up talk about where we're at right now with processing everything that happened on sunday night 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's just it's probably just helpful to sort of take stock of the landscape, which is radically altered after the bells. Like, let's just do kind of like a sober table setting of Game of Thrones right now. Take the emotion out of it and just kind of look at what we've got right now. And what we've got right now is this was a moment we'd been waiting for for a very long time. The war for the Iron Throne, it felt inevitable that Daenerys and Cersei were going to clash in some capacity. That capacity has now revealed itself in the clash of queens was a lot deadlier than I think many people expected it would be. Certainly a contingent of the fandom that anticipated a real dark turn for Daenerys eventually. Uh, but in, in my wildest dreams, I couldn't have imagined that it would it would be uh, quite this dark. But what we get is Danny is able to annihilate all of the scorpions. She's able to outmaneuver the Iron Fleet. Uh, these, you know, super powered crossbows from last week are bullshit this week. So that's great. Uh, she's able to destroy all of that. The Golden Company officially sucks. They suck super she did hard. Not get her money's worth. Really should have gotten those. Iron elephants. Bank really made a bad investment. Again, this is the sober analysis. These are objective facts. The Golden Company sucks objectively, uh, as they are just instantly trashed without even lifting a sword. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, more like Daenerys the Bronze is, Company. Yeah, if, if that. I feel like uh, that's Ting. like an insult to, to to. I mean, Bronze is already claimed by our boy Bronze Yan. Yeah, who I feel like uh, shocker of shocks. Bronze Yan, I think, is going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think bronze Yon's gonna make it i think he's gonna make it uh and so danny basically is able to completely conquer the city without having to you know get much support from anybody else she's able to do it very bloodlessly uh at first and then the bells ring you know because Tyrion said you know about a thousand times ring the bells if you ring the bells we'll know you've surrendered the bells ring but uh danny i don't hear no bell uh, and she decides that surrender is off the table, no retreat, no surrender, the boss style, and she is uh, going to annihilate King's Landing, and a huge swath of the city is now destroyed. Uh, several main characters are now dead. Euron Greyjoy is thankfully dead. <laughs> He's dead, and I'm thrilled about that. Didn't you uh, interview him? I did, and he's he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy, you know. And well, actually, so so I did I did interview him. I mean, I know we're gonna we're gonna get to like more I know you serious hate him, stuff, but I feel like that was, must have been weird for you. <laughs> well, I was definitely a little nervous. Like there is like a little bit of like that nervous anxiety of like, what is the chance that he has heard what I yeah. have said about him? At which point it would be awkward. But you thought you he, thought it might be like a Are you a fan of Euron Greyjoy? Yeah, that would be amazing. Honestly, that would be kind of incredible. <laughs> Pilu Lasbach yeah, is the yeah. is the name of the actor. He's a Danishman, a Danishman Pilu, uh, and he and I have have so, uh, similar career arcs. I'll have you know, Rob. Not that we're both Danish, uh, but before uh, before he was Euron Greyjoy, long before he was an actor. This is from my interview with Pilu Asbach, who tells me I used to work at a kindergarten, uh, and Nikolai Coster Waldo's kids were at that kindergarten. <laughs> He said he says 
I was some kind of a nanny before I became an actor. So I've known Nikolai for 20 years, uh, which is it was fascinating for me to hear because uh, I don't know how often I talk about this, but I was a preschool teacher before I got into all of this. So I was like, oh, we've got some common ground. You're on Greyjoy. <laughs> uh, but he also said some things that uh, like I appreciated where he was coming from. But he said some stuff that, frankly, just really did frustrate me a little bit <laughs> about the way that he plays the character. Uh, first of all, he hasn't watched a single episode of Game of Thrones since he's uh, joined the cast. He says he, he used to be an enormous fan of Game of Thrones. He used to be the guy that would get together with his fans and his friends and theorize about the show. And he thought it was the best TV ever made. But once he started making the show, he said the magic disappeared because now he's behind the curtain. Uh, so he had to turn it into uh, a job instead of a passion. And I guess like, I kind of relate to what he's talking mm-hmm. about there to, yeah. uh, to, a cer- to a certain degree. Um, but he he talked about the way... In which he plays Euron Greyjoy, which I think really fully explains why Euron Greyjoy uh, came across the way that he did. Um, he said he says this. He says it's always difficult because what's the reality of a show? Sometimes the reality with Game of Thrones has been that it takes time for people to travel. Other times you need to skip the reality and get from one place to another in the space of an episode. The reality of Euron Greyjoy is a fictional reality. It's a hmm. fantasy. It's a fantasy show. There are dragons for crying out loud. If you want reality, watch The Wire. You know what I mean? I love both shows, but the premise for both shows is very, very different. You have to say, what am I watching? If I was playing a one-on-one realistic dogma of acting, I'd be on a different show. I thought it would be fun to do this over-the-top character where you don't know if he's going to pardon my French and earmuffs oh, kids. Danish. It will pardon his Danish as well. He says where you don't know if he's going to F you or kill you. He says the full word in the article. If you'd like to read that, uh, we had already seen those archetype villains with Joffrey and Ramsey. How can you overdo that kind of evil? It's impossible. And in only five to 10 scenes, it's impossible. So we had to do something different with Euron Greyjoy. We had to give him swag. We had to make him more rock and roll where he's just enjoying himself. When you discuss terrorism, there's often a political agenda. But you know what's the most frightening thing? Some people just want to see the world burn. And then I say, oh, like the Joker. And he says, exactly. Euron is one of those guys. Don't go into a long, logical discussion of what he is and why he is. Just accept the premise that he wants to see the world burn and he wants to be in the first row. So that's how Pilu plays uh, or played rather Euron Greyjoy. Played him like the Joker, basically. Played him like a cartoon character. And he says that Game of Thrones had a had a reality that is that is very different from The Wire. Mm hmm. Except when Game of Thrones was like unanimously great, it was kind of realistic, sort of like The Wire. (laughs) So I feel like maybe you can chart when the show started to get a little cartoony (laughs) around the time the guy who stopped watching the show and decided to start playing a cartoony villain came around. So I'm almost a little more annoyed now, to be completely honest. Anyway, well... Let's, That's a sidebar. Okay, let's, let's come back he's to Daenerys. Maester Kyburn's dead. Clegane Bowl happened. Those guys are dead. The Lannisters are dead. 
Uh, at least two of the three siblings are dead, and Daenerys Targaryen has uh, uh, committed mass murder. Uh, and that's those are the stakes mm-hmm. heading into the final episode, and uh, it's pretty gnarly. Pretty okay. gnarly indeed. Josh, let me throw something at you because uh, there has been uh, you know a lot of discussion, and, uh, and uh, tell me if I have an accurate feel for where this is, because I feel like coming out of Sunday night, I think there was a lot of discussion of how could Daenerys do what she did, and why did she do 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 do, do, do that? Why, why did she do 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 that? And basically, slaughter. I mean, by estimate, we heard uh, Davos say about a million people in King's Landing did a hundred thousand people die. Uh, you know, uh, tens of thousands at, at a yeah, minimum. Yeah, I think you could comfortably call it thousands. Tens of thousands of innocent civilians uh, uh, burned or crushed, killed by Daenerys's actions. And people said, well, how could this woman that we watched for these uh, seven and a half seasons, how could, how could she do that? And I feel like then... The uh, counter argument has uh, swung the other way. And now there's a lot of people coming out with, (laughs) oh, how could she do it? Like, oh, Daenerys burnt the uh, Mary Mazdar. Daenerys burnt uh, the people in Karth. Uh, Daenerys burnt, I don't know if she burnt anybody in Karth. Uh, But she She locked, uh, I I hate to think about Karth, but she did lock uh, XXD in her handmaiden in a vault with no Food, you know, uh, she burnt the slayer. She crucified the master. So she's she's been she's hardcore. She's done a uh, she uh, she burnt every uh, she burnt the the Lannister army. She burnt the Tarleys. And then people say, oh, how could she do this? Uh, Well, were you watching the show for seven seasons? Right, right. You asking where I come (laughs) down on this? Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I think what, you know, I think it guides us into where I have us starting with the feedback, because I think you're talking about how there is sort of this schism in the Game of Thrones fandom right now, uh, where there are people who are loving what's happening. There are people who are hating what's happening, Uh, you know, within some of our own Facebook groups. uh, James B. wrote, this is the worst episode of television I've ever seen. And Andrew B. responded. responded by saying this was one of the best episodes I've ever seen. So like that's already the range of reactions that we're seeing. I'm seeing a lot of uh, critics that I really respect people who, who I know a little tiny bit personally uh, outside of this stuff who, uh, who hated, who loathed this episode, who are furious with what the show has done uh, to Daenerys and several other characters. And then I'm seeing some people who I also admire and respect uh, saying that this is, uh, one of the very best episodes that Game of Thrones has ever put out. Uh, Vulture, New York Magazine's Vulture blog, uh, recently updated their episode rankings, which is something I really ought to start looking into doing myself. Uh, but I think that's a next week thing for me once the finale uh, drops. Uh, but Vulture says The Bells is the very best episode of Game of Thrones. Number one on the board. Um, so the range of reactions to this yeah. 
is really kind of staggering on just like sort of the meta level, even looking beyond Daenerys as a character. And I certainly have thoughts on that. Um, but I, I feel like it's it's helpful to kind of lay like lay down like a base layer of paint about my feelings on the episode overall before we push in further. And I think that actually one of our readers uh, or our listeners, rather one of our listeners wrote in with some feedback that feels pretty true to how I feel about the episode. And this is Jack from Maryland who wrote in. Jack from Maryland says, well, that was certainly a brutal episode of television. I think I'm in the minority here, but I really liked the episode. For me, I would take really out of it. I liked the episode. Uh, or at least I liked it as much as you can with such a horrifying amount of violence. Even though it felt rushed, I really liked the Danny turn and what it means for the show overall. I think the biggest problems with the last two seasons have been the condensed format. I think Benioff and Weiss did the show a disservice by thinking they could wrap everything up in 13 episodes. The show needed at least 20 episodes, if not 30, to feel like all of the arcs paid off correctly. For example, Jamie's arc, while true to his addiction to his love of Cersei, felt choppy because of the Brienne storyline from episode 4. I think with more time to breathe, that end would have been more satisfying. Overall, I still have a lot to digest from this past week, and I think the show has a lot of distance to cover in the final episode, but I'm excited to see how it ends. I think Jack uh, wrote in with a pretty measured take that that feels close to where I'm at with everything. Uh, you know, I've, I've come on here on a lot of these podcasts before and I, I can get spicy and I can get passionate and I can I can be furious about things. And there's certainly, you know, story turns that make me say Strigoi. Uh, and there's there's aspects of what just happened that really don't sit great with me. Mm-hmm. But they are mostly rooted in this central problem that 13 episodes was not enough. For the final two seasons, it was just like an absolutely awful decision. It was a really, 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 really thoroughly terrible, bad choice. Uh, We had a question from Robert Craig who wrote in and said, do you know why we were limited to just six episodes for season eight? A full season could have allowed more time to see Daenerys' turn to madness develop instead of just flipping a switch and having it happen instantly. And this has been making the rounds a little bit over the last week or so. But in a long kind of sprawling interview, Benioff and Weiss did with Entertainment Weekly back in April. And I think that it predates to, to much further than that because EW's James Hibbard. He's often embedded on the set of Game of Thrones. So I'm sure that this is coming from the set. Uh, but they talked about the fact that there could have been more. Uh, Weiss says to HBO's credit, they put their money where their mouths are. They literally stuffed their mouth full of million dollar bills, which don't exist anymore. Uh, They said, we'll give you the resources to make this what it needs to be. And if what it needs to be is a summer tentpole size spectacle in places, then that's what it will be. Then Benioff chimes in and says, HBO would have been happy for the show to keep going, to have more episodes in the final season. We always believed it was about 73 hours and it will be roughly that as much as they wanted more. They understood this is where the story ends. So my issue is not with HBO. Uh, HBO wanted more Game of Thrones. Obviously. David, David Benioff and Dan Weiss did not want to do more Game of Thrones, and they felt like they had a story that was airtight that could be wrapped in 73 hours. Uh, and who am I but a, but a lowly uh, podcaster, writer, person who whose uh, job it is to, to pick nits of pop culture? Uh, who am I to disagree? But I disagree. 
I disagree that this was a 73-hour story. I think that this was at least an 80-hour story. I think probably a little bit longer than that. I think stuff that we saw in this episode, like Varys's whole dilemma uh, and Tyrion's subsequent dilemma of what to do about Varys, that's an episode at least. Uh, there's material between Arya and the Hound going from Winterfell to King's Landing that would be so juicy, so rich, for multiple episodes to get kind of like the reverse arc of what we got uh, from the two of them being on the road together in seasons three and season four to bring it back to Daenerys. Absolutely. There is, there is track that lays up to the moment of her turning into this insane conquest, you know, hyperdrive warlord who kills thousands and thousands of people, but it feels like a, a switch is flipped because the final moves to get her to this extreme of a place happened really, really, really quickly. And I think that the show just needed to needed to be a little more cards up with some of this stuff. I, I think that a lot of writing is either uh, is is done in like an overly clever way right now in order to kind of like out sleuth the Internet sleuths uh, or things are getting put together like way too hastily so that the Internet sleuths don't have time to figure out what it is you're doing. But that feels unfair to the story you're telling. Mm-hmm. And I think I think with more time on the board, more time on the clock, I think that Danny's turn would have really, really worked for me. I'm I'm not disagreeing with a lot of where the story has ultimately arrived, but I, I have a lot of issue with like how we've arrived there. It's it's kind of interestingly, you know, the the way that I feel about Lost, uh, and it's changed a little bit since my last rewatch of the show, but that used to be what I would say is like Lost always taught me it was about the journey and not the destination, because I really didn't care for the destination on Lost. I'm actually pretty good with the destination on Game of Thrones and the journey of the final couple of seasons, I think is borderline bullshit. Wow. Okay. A little, a little bit, a little bit like there's moments here that are great. There, there are things that are happening that are great. There's, you know, we can't call this the worst episode in television history when it's really a lot of it are a lot of it is, is at the fault of the writing. And and so much of the acting is outstandingly good. Mm-hmm. Even Amelia Clark is outstandingly good in this episode. Uh, you know, Lena Hetty and Nikolai Costarwaldo are outstandingly good in their final turns as Cersei and Jamie. Uh, Miguel Sapochnik, who directs this episode, directs the hell out of this episode. The cinematography photography is remarkable um you know the 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 editing is incredible the score by ramin jawadi is so so good a lot of like the perspective stuff of seeing just like the horrors of war through the eyes of Jon snow or Arya stark all of that to me is really really good did we earn getting to this place i i don't think so because i think it just happened too quickly and it's just gonna that's just gonna be like my overall blanket critique of the final season ultimately is i don't mind where we wound up i think that this can be true to the spirit of the characters but it's like this final season is a super cut of a much longer season and we're only being allowed to see like what some person dubbed as the key scenes when there's a lot of unwritten material that was so so good that was just like left behind for no real reason other than i think the creators of the show just wanted to go take a nap and make some star wars movies (laughs) yeah that's it. Um, I think that part of this was that the show has been chasing another red wedding uh, since since that time, and you know that was sort of like the 
big moment that everybody talked about with the show. And I think that they wanted you to be surprised more so than they wanted to, you know, let people guess what was going to happen with this. But the the reason why the Red Wedding was great is because you can see the bullets coming. Uh, you know, you, you don't if you don't know to look for them. And I think that that happens early enough in Game of Thrones that at, the, at that point, really, the big horror that had occurred was Ned Stark dying. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you that was a very, very big moment, but a full, you know, two seasons passed between him dying and the Red Wedding happening. So maybe like you're kind of at a place where you're you're feeling comfortable again and it really sideswipes you. And it's just so horrible that you can't imagine and something like that happening. Um, and so that's why that comes out of nowhere. But when you go back and you watch it, knowing what to look for, as you and I have done, and, uh, you know, a lot of people who had read the books knew it was coming on the show, you can see what's happening on the show that, like, lays the track for the Red Wedding. Right. So it feels really well and fully earned. And it's not like that stuff doesn't fully exist for Daenerys and Daenerys's move here. But you really get, like, you get like a like a a scene of her in like really full like mad queen mode at the start of the episode where she is uh again a ton of credit to to not just Amelia Clark but you know the makeup and everything that's like making her look really savagely depressed and like reclusive and she's what what you're seeing with her at Dragonstone at the top of the episode is disturbingly reminiscent of how the mad king is described in like the period of time where he really lost his mind uh so it's a it's a really it's a really clever parallel but it's all happening in the space of just one episode so they're really not affording you the time to process the possibility that that this is going to happen at least i don't think so i know mileage is very uh on this but for me i i just feel like i think you're right i think they want a big surprising moment to happen here but it's you're you're surprised at the level of horror even when you kind of felt like it was coming. I think that almost makes some of these types of moments worse, uh, like worse in a good way, like worse in a more painful way where this was this was shocking. But it really for a lot of people felt shocking for the sake of being shocking mm-hmm. rather than something that felt like really deeply, tragically inevitable, like the Red Wedding. And in the books and from the perspective of the viewers that, you know, in the books that they have these vantage point characters and Daenerys is a character that uh, you become uh, extremely familiar with. And any viewer of the TV show has felt like she's very relatable. And I I think that in terms of her motivation, like I I understand like the bullet points of what could cause her to snap, but I still don't understand why she had to lay waste to the entire city where she talked about, you know, well, she's not going to be loved, so she needs to be feared. But why did you why did she need to kill 100,000 people to get that message across? Right. And I think that there's there's a rule. There's something really powerful there. Like there's a really, really smart and and gutting and terrifying idea there of you know 
somebody who has the best intentions, somebody who really believes in themselves as somebody who is is destined to do good, is destined to make lives better and has the power with which to do those things. She has freaking dragons, you know, she has freaking dragons uh, and she's she's the breaker of chains and she has this spectacular resume uh, and things have you know been very hard for her in a lot of ways, but things have also broken her way and in her mind by sheer force of will. And after a certain amount of time, I think for her, you know, and she she says this when she meets Jon Snow the first time uh, and she, you know, kind of reiterates it in Last of the Starks talking to Varys uh, before she goes to King's Landing to try and broker a deal for Missandei. She's really taking a lot of agency for her successes as like kind of like I'm this uniquely qualified mm-hmm. individual who because I have my finger on the on the nuclear button that I'm the person who is, you know, I alone can make these choices. Like It doesn't matter what your perceived moral compass is. That's a very deadly, deadly, you know, scenario to have any one person believe in themselves to be that freaking powerful so that when you get to this moment where, you know, if, if you want to, you know, survey what what was written uh, that that pushed her to this moment, when you get to the scenario where you've lost as much as she has in such rapid order, she loses two of her kids for all intents and purposes. She loses two of her best friends. Uh, she comes to Westeros and realizes that nobody really likes her here. People are not a big people. People are not big Danny fans. Her boyfriend, uh, the family of the, her boyfriend is not such a such a, a, a huge fan of, of Daenerys. Her boyfriend's her freaking nephew. He has a better claim to the Iron Throne. A lot is happening for her. So by the time that she gets to King's Landing and everybody on the streets is losing their mind in terror, that at a certain point, that person, like, you can just snap. You have your Michael Douglas moment and you just start falling down and you just start, like, obliterating everybody in sight. There's some, like, really terrifying, incisive commentary in there. And I I really liked some of the ways that the show pulled that off. Like, I I loved the, the scene... We had somebody I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on on who sent the feedback for this. Uh, but somebody said that, like, the moment where the Starks meet the Lannisters in the middle of King's Landing kind of reminded them of all the news teams gathering to fight an anchorman. And it was like, <laughs> that was a little, like a little silly like that. And I get that. That's funny. But I, I, I like the subversion of what happens there where, like, suddenly, like, you're afraid for the Lannisters and now you're afraid of what the Starks are going to do. You're afraid of what the Northerners are going to do. And it's such a flip of, of where we were eight seasons ago with Jamie Lannister and his posse, uh, really like Vince Vaughn rolls up to Ned Stark and his crew and starts a fight. And it's a lot less funny than what happens to Ron Burgundy. And back then, like the Lannisters were clear cut villains and the Starks were clear cut heroes. And now we've flipped that. I, I think that there are great ideas there. I think that there's really cutting political commentary there it's just like we bullshitted our way to get there you know we just we yara yara our way to get to the good stuff and i i think that uh sometimes maybe the yara yara is the good stuff mm-hmm. you know okay josh wh- we're sorry talking a lot yeah it is a, where, it is a podcast where else should, where else should we go i well, want to make well, sure we we cover uh yeah well our, let's our stick feedback. let's stick 
let's stick with Danny. We've got a lot of Danny. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is from Fantasy Stat Guru on Twitter, uh, who wrote in and said, "Was there a way to have the exact same episode with John and Tyrion knowing that Danny isn't right for the throne without her destroying massive amounts of innocence and the city in this episode?" So just like talking about like where this is clearly going, uh, Daenerys, there's no way, there's no way that she keeps power. Like I, I, f- I feel like I guess that there is a way and then that is like a, a massively dark ending for game of thrones but that just doesn't seem to align with sort of tonally what has been sketched out in the past in interviews and and all that stuff and i just like feel like that's crazy and i think with the direction that they've taken danny leaving her in charge does not seem like that's going to happen so if this is sort of like the result that they wanted do you think rob that there was a way to get here without having such scorched earth on danny's resume without having such a heel turn well, I think we still need to know what the ending is going to be to be able to know if we were able to get here a different way because we don't know what they're going to do in the next episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we don't. We have no idea, but I feel like it, it feels like the idea is for both John and Tyrion to realize that they were wrong in backing their queen, right? Like, I think that's the whole point of what you're getting from Jon Snow in the city streets of King's Landing and him seeing oh my God, what have I become? What have I supported? Tyrion feeling the same way. He got his best friend killed for nothing. Tyrion's such a freaking narc, by the way. I'm mm-hmm. so I'm so disappointed with Tyrion Lannister for selling out Varys. Yeah. Like, I, feel, I feel like I'm, I'm pissed. I'm pissed that there's so many greater headlines coming out of this episode that we can't spend like 45 minutes just shaming Tyrion for being such a crappy friend. Yeah. What a bad friend. Terrible yeah. friend. Uh Varys also, you know, he he went to all the lengths to let Jamie out of jail, but you know, Varys had a lot to do with that also. Unbelievable. It's really just it's tremendously rotten friendship. Um and, but was there it, Varys is, had a good there, read. Is there is there a way to get us to this place where by the end of the bells, I think John and Tyrion are going to be pretty woke to the idea that Danny's done lost it? Uh, was there a way to get them to that same emotional state without this? Or do you think that this was necessary? I, I don't know. I, I mean, to me, I feel like that Danny's actions make more sense if they happen at the end of last week's episode where uh, Missande had uh, just been murdered in front of her and she has a temper, she gets hot and then she ends up going and uh, lashing out on King's Landing here. Yes. uh, She has had more internal betrayals and uh, has learned more about her inner circle is not trustworthy. And I understand that perspective too, where she may feel like, look, uh, the only way that I can do this is, you know, I tried to do it politically and now I need to do it by force. And and, and I understand that. I I just don't know what the uh, all the loss of innocent lives necessarily bought her. Uh, probably not a lot. I mean, I think, I think it bought her, uh, a really grisly end to a a long journey to get to this point. I think Mm -hmm. it's, it's buying her a lot of tragedy. I think in her mind, she thinks, you know, she she says it in her conversation with Tyrion after she's killed Varys. She's like, I'm going to wreck King's Landing. I'm going to rock some shit. It's going to be really brutal. Uh, but they've miscalculated. They think that my mercy is a weakness the people that I'm being merciful towards 
are the survivors of what's coming next, the future generations that won't have to live in a world where this can happen again. Um, but maybe like the moral burden she's putting on herself in her mind before she really snaps, at least, is I can I can shoulder the burden of, you know, a few thousand lives if necessary in order to snatch back the throne because I'm going to then be responsible for so much good in the future. So I don't want to spoil uh, a comic book from the 1980s, but it's kind of Watchmen-esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of a similar idea to, to what's happening by the end of that story, uh, I think is kind of what she's talking about there. But I think when she then goes ahead and just starts like annihilating thousands and thousands and thousands of innocent people. It doesn't people, stop. I, I yeah, just, that's just, that's what, just cause like... End? She just got bloodlust at that point, I think. It's just like she's seeing red, and so she's just like, uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, to put it darkly, it's like it's a mass shooting. It's like a mass mm-hmm. murder situation, oh, yeah. and she's the perpetrator. And I think it was telling that the show could never go back to her because I don't think that they could, you know, show you the image of, uh, you know, of like Daenerys's perspective of, what, of what was going on we mostly just saw drogon and uh we got very few like uh close-ups on danny in terms of all that happening which is really messed up <laughs> it's it, really screwed it was up like, well, oh well we can't you know it's just now now we're just getting it from the perspective of the people on the ground but to i mean this was a a lead character on the show and yeah. she has this you know big shift and we sort of like lose her perspective on things now we're just observing yeah. her. And in the past, up until this moment, we always got to see things uh, the way that she was seeing things. But I think it's because, like, at that point, it's more important for us to be in the heads of the people who are suffering because of her actions. Like, I think her uh, once you make the choice to do something as terrible as what she does, like her hurt, her pain uh the the lifetime of abuse that she suffered before you know she she started to like really take her destiny into her own hands and even a lot of what she sustained during the time that we've known her on game of thrones like that that ceases to matter when you do something this awful uh so you know like it it helps understand it helps you like to some degree understand like how a thing like this is possible but you can't really empathize with someone who is who is capable of of uh or or at least it doesn't matter like the empathy part is is not even secondary like it is it is so far back you know it's back row jury at this point mm-hmm. uh so you, you don't need you don't need to see danny's face i think it, it takes you out of the horror of it if you're seeing like uh you know the screen of the close-up of Amelia Clark on the dragon as she's doing all this like that's that's some Power Rangers shit like mm-hmm. that's the you know that's like the season five Doran storyline hokiness uh I, I I'm I'm glad at the very least that if they were going to do this they really commit to to making um you know to, to like kind of you know rooting you in the perspective of the people who are on the receiving end of a very very monstrous act um is this somebody's fault other than Daenerys? This is a question that had been uh, posited by a couple of people. One version of this question, uh, and, and it's Jon Snow's fault if it's anybody's fault. And Danny blames <laughs> Jon Snow, it seems, as well, back at Dragonstone. Uh, Robert Craig says, can we put Daenerys's turn to the dark side on Jon if he never mentions who he really is? Does Daenerys go full Anakin Skywalker on King's Landing? And Andrea wrote in and said, if Jon had just been willing to be 
with Danny, do you think she still would have snapped? It felt like his refusal of her was a last straw. To me, it seems like once again, John's moral compass really messed things up. How much of this do we want to lay at the feet of Jon Snow? Well, I don't want to uh, uh, put out there that Danny is jilted, and that's where uh, this came from. But I think that the his refusal to be with her, I think, was uh, important for uh, a couple of reasons, because I, I think that it was like the uh, last uh, opportunity for her to see a world where, you know, uh, they could maybe coexist somehow. And, and I think that part of her motivation had to have been that the writing was on the wall, that there are people internally that are defecting. They have leaks everywhere. People want John on the throne, and uh, this is all uh, being taken from her in right. one way or another. And John's refusal, I, I think uh, she has feelings for John, but also I think that uh, him being cold to her in that way also was I- important in her mindset in terms of, oh, that this is all part of me not even getting the Iron Throne. Yeah, I think it's just like it's another like add it to the list. You know, it's like when you're having is Alexander, the no good, terrible, very bad day. Yeah. Right. Like it's like Jon like, Snow is fine. But yeah, I, mean, I, feel, I feel like it's just like, uh, you know, it's it's just like you've you've already like you lost your job. You found out that your best friend has passed away. You found out that your your wife is leaving you uh, and then like a, a car uh, runs over your foot and then a bus drives by and splashes mud on you like the getting splashed on is probably not like the worst of the offenses of of, of mm-hmm. the universe against you in that day uh but it still sucks and it's it, it yeah. may like you know sometimes it's like the the splashing of of mud on you that gets you like so dirty to the point where you're like that's it yeah no more but you know then if i go set off a bomb somewhere nobody's gonna feel bad about my terrible day a hundred percent and nobody should <laughs> yeah you know, and I, and I think and that's that's kind of the point that I was trying to make anyway with why I thought it was good that we didn't get to see Danny once she decides to go into this mode. Mm-hmm. It's like, screw your pain. Like you you've made this choice and I'm I'm not going with you to what you're doing now. Um, so I, 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 you know, did, did we earn this particular dramatic uh, moment? Maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. not quite all the way, but if this was the way we were going to go anyway, I at least really do appreciate that they kind of had the the wherewithal to make that stylistic choice to like not have any kind of like hero shots of Danny because at that point, screw whatever she's been through, doesn't matter anymore. All right, uh, let's get to some more feedback uh, after we thank our sponsors here for this episode of the podcast, and those are our friends. They've been with us all season long on the Game of Thrones Blue. Diamond almonds. Are you watching Game of Thrones and tired of the same boring snacks? Let me tell you, winter is here. So is the perfect snack. Blue diamond almonds, whether you're going to work, bored at work, leaving work. These almonds are the perfect snack. 
honey roasted flavored almonds, and almonds are almonds are perfect when they're roasted. Uh, sriracha flavored almonds, wasabi and soy sauce flavored almonds. Do we have your attention? Why keep snacking on boring chips when you could go to the store and pick up some blue diamond almonds right now? You know, maybe if somebody had stopped and been so courteous to offer Danny some almonds, <laughs> maybe that might have, you know, uh, if, if Varys had a, a can of uh, sriracha almonds on him, then maybe a wow. peace, peace offering? Truce? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to. Uh, we're in the middle of an ad read, but I think Varys was trying to feed her so he could kill her. So, oh, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he wanted to kill her by blue diamond almonds. I think that would have been counter to his purposes because she would have ha- yeah. suddenly had a zest for life. She'd yes. be like, oh, these are so good. Whatever the moment, blue diamond almond is the perfect snack. Don't deny your cravings. Go pick up some great flavors right now and eat them. Blue diamond almonds crave victoriously. All right. Uh, I think speaking of, of Varys trying to to poison Danny, uh, I think that's a that's a decent decent uh, road that we can we can go into now. Uh, and I, I did, was that your read as well? That's what Varys no, and the little bird were trying to do. Um, I was wa- was wondering that, but I thought that the show left it uh, kind of vague. But uh, that would make. Well, some I mean, sense. that was the like last week in Last of the Starks when Tyrion's like, "All right, well, how are you going to stop Daenerys?" You know, she, he said, uh, "I'll do something," and then he asked the girl if uh, if she's eaten. She's eating. Um, yeah. But I, I think that maybe they could have hit that note a little harder because uh, I think you feel less bad <laughs> about Varys dying then. I, I guess I guess but I, I think that you know Varys is doing what he feels I mean look Varys didn't quite get little fingered I think that Varys's end is not as bad as what happened to to Lord Baelish it's not great Conleth Hill the actor who plays Varys had an interview with EW and he was he was pretty candid about how he did not he did not care for what happened. I don't mm-hmm. know if you read that. Yeah, did you read it? Uh, I didn't see that article, but uh, maybe they, that will not be a scene when they show the table read of the final season. Probably of not. Yeah. He said he said he was inconsolable when he found out that he would uh, that he would die in this way, and that there was nothing you could say at the time that would make him feel better. Like he felt like he had screwed up somehow. He, he took it really personally. Uh, he said that so much of the adventure on game of Thrones was fantastic. He has ultimately come around a little bit on what happened to Varys, but he also kind of says like, I suppose I didn't really love the last couple of seasons. Was, hmm. You know, listen, I feel like, you know, Varys has always been a strong and sturdy moral compass. And I do appreciate that. Even if like the whole way that this was handled was fairly ridiculous. Uh, a lot of people who pointed out like this is the master of whispers. And he just like goes up to Jon Snow like immediately when Jon Snow parks his car. Basically, he's like, hey, hey, John, <laughs> King Targaryen, right? You know, like that's pretty obvious. This is a fair, this is fairly out in the open. Uh, Desperate but at least- times. You know, at least Varys is like true to what he said to Ned Stark all the way back in the day. This is a guy who did whatever he wanted to do for the realm. It was not for personal gain. It wasn't for even any one person. It was for an ideal. And so I appreciate Varys's uh, ideals winning the day. Um, but we 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 are left to wonder, uh, based on this feedback from Spencer Y, if we have not yet seen the last of Varys in some capacity, at least. Okay. Uh, sp- Spencer writes in, not he's dead. Varys is oh. totally dead. Uh, but, but Spencer writes in and says, 
was Varys working on a single scroll all day long, which ultimately got burned and would have been such a waste of time and energy? Or did he manage to send out a few of these scrolls with a standardized and abbreviated message about John, sufficient to share the word about John's legitimacy and turn the tide of public opinion against Danny? Will the impact of Varys's scrolls pay off in the finale? What do you think, Rob? Any chance that Varys is able to to have gotten the word out at all about Jon Snow before he was killed off? Well, who would be the person that would be opening said scroll that would be impactful in some way? It's not like the Starks don't already know. Um, and I mean, if Yara Greyjoy on the Iron Islands finds out, she still likes Danny, so she's probably not going to do much. Right. Uh, I mean, Bronze, Daenerys Bronze still has a dragon. And yeah. once she has uh, taken the quote unquote throne and, and uh, you know, who knows what kind of disrepair King's Landing is in. So where, you know, will she rule the seven kingdoms from uh, Dragonstone? I, I don't know what any of this looks like. But, you know, as long as she has the dragon, I think that she's the ruler. So this is a good segue into into some more questions about, like, how will Danny be stopped? Uh, and two people wrote in with the, the same general idea. Uh, Dave Baker had this idea and Andy Tui as well, who wrote, uh, surely this is an opportunity for Bran to war again to Drogon. And take out Daenerys and possibly Drogon as well. If she is taken out, what happens if Drogon is still around with no one to control him? So what do you think are the odds? We didn't see Bran warg into a dragon, which is still so lame. Not cool. But is there is there a shot on the on the is there is there any chance any any shot here? That Bran is going to hijack Drogon and kill Daenerys that way. Could we still get Bran warging into a dragon even if White Walkers are no longer in the mix? Can I just uh, preface this with there better be some explanation in this finale of what did Bran know and when did he know it? Because he had the vision, the dragon flying over King's Landing you have to think I, that he didn't see this coming. Was this a blindside to Bran, the biggest event in the history of King's Landing? Well, he did say to Tyrion the other week, he's like, I mostly live in the past now. Oh, okay. Oh, you know, maybe oh, Bran's like very pure. He doesn't want the spoilers. He doesn't want the spoilers. Okay. Yeah. Um, how, what's the signal like on Bran's warging? Uh, can he, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like that when, if you're out of range, can you do it? Can you do it anywhere? Uh, Does he need to get to King's Landing? It seems like he's more powerful when he's in a godswood and near a weirwood tree. Mm-hmm. You know, not a lot of those uh, in King's Landing. No, south uh, they're they're pretty rare. Uh, so he's really at his best if he's uh, if he's north. Uh, Winterfell's a good spot for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we're gonna get Bran warging into a dragon and killing Daenerys. Yeah. Very interested to see what they do with the characters in the North in this episode. Whether do we get a time jump? Do we, uh, you know, how do we incorporate the characters in the North when all the action is in the South right now? I think probably some form of time jump will happen. I, I think that like the the King's Landing stuff is going to get resolved with still like probably like a half hour or so of TV still left, and we'll you know get to hop around the Seven Kingdoms and beyond the Wall and all of that. Uh, we'll get to see wherever like Arya rode off to 
you know, we'll we'll get into all of that. I think that like the Danny arc is the most pressing thing that needs to be resolved. I think they'll resolve it. I don't think it's going to end well for her. Uh, we got a theory from Chris from New York. I like this one. I feel like this is probably where the show is going. Uh, he says, what do you think of this theory? John can still be the prince that was promised, but he's going to be forced to kill Danny, thus fulfilling the prophecy of killing your closest loved one. He will essentially be saving the realm from darkness at the hands of a mad queen. I feel like this would be a predictable eye roll ending, but it does make some thematic sense that John never wanted the throne, but to protect the realm, he might have to take it. Uh, after an episode like this and some of the things that have happened this season, like who are we to, to say like, Oh yeah, that seems easy enough. And that's probably what's going to happen. But like, that seems easy enough. And that's probably what's going to happen. <sighs> Uh, I feel right, like, like that just feels pretty easy. That feels pretty easy. It does. It feels easy and just uh, a little uh, on the nose. I, I don't think that we get the right on the nose ending. So, like, you think that it's going to be like on a different body part, or it's yeah. going to be like on the cheek? Like, is it is this close? Is this very far away from mm-hmm. what we're going to get? Or do you think, I think that this that is maybe yeah. that it's going to look like that's what we're going to get. And then we get a uh, misdirect at the end. You know, I feel like that what the show loves to do and what they did with Daenerys. And if you go back to the Red Viper versus Oberyn, it looks like everything is in hand and uh, oh, they've surrendered. They rang the bells. OK, we're 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 you know, we got through it. And then. Then they like to give you that uh, last second, you know, right turn, or is it a left turn? I don't know. Depends. If you were going left, then it's right. Yeah, and you know, and and throw you off. So I kind of feel like they that it's going to look like that, and then ultimately we get a swerve, and then Jon Snow gets eaten by Drogon. Maybe. Yeah, the, the Viserion thing was foreshadowing that he's actually going to get eaten by a dragon. <laughs> I don't know. It's just being, we were waiting for like the the, the live dragon to, to eat Jon Snow. Yeah, uh, I, I think that we're going to have a lot of twists and turns in this final episode. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, we'll see where it goes. I think it's a pretty clean, it feels pretty clean and there's still a lot a of business shot. left to be done. Well, I, and I don't even think, I mean, it's still not like a straight shot. That's a pretty harsh thing that would have mm. to happen. Uh, so it'd be a pretty epic scene. Um, but I think it's probably not far away from what we've got to do. Again, Benioff and Weiss are directing this episode in addition to having written the finale. They're not like the huge action movie directors. I think that we've seen like the most action packed stuff on Game of Thrones right. at this point. Um, let's move away from all of this because we got to start the process at least of uh, looking to wrap up. Uh, and we haven't even really talked about the Lannisters. Uh, Cersei and Jaime are dead, which is wild. Uh, although some people aren't sure. Andrew from Minneapolis says, are we sure that uh, Cersei's really dead and she didn't find a dumpster mm-hmm. to hide under? Uh, she's dead. They're, they're dead. They're dead. They're deceased. There's no there's no time for the uh, the Dark Knight Rises ending. That like, oh, God, mm-hmm. they're actually in France. Um, Matt Sig wrote in and said, so who had Cersei and Jamie being killed by falling rubble? No one. Maybe that's because it's effing stupid. <laughs> Whoa. I decided to read that dramatically. Yeah. Um, 
Um, was it dumb? Do you think it's dumb the way that they died? Or are you good with, with how they died? And no, I'm sorry, I, I, I I'm, haven't had a chance to listen to Snow at all, so I don't know if you're being duplicative. No, I, I'm, uh, I, I think I'm fine with all of that. I mean, that uh, for Jamie to ultimately go back to Cersei, I, I, I guess it makes sense. It's just uh, that the Brienne stuff, which, you know, uh, between Jamie ending up being with her and then uh, was going to live with her, it just feels like that... Well, what was the point of that? Of him with Brienne? Right. Why have him be with Brienne if he's just going to, like, uh, you know, have the realization one day, oh, no, I love Cersei. Yeah. I think because it's it's kind of like a small human version of what the, what the like, a, an individual person embodying what this greater theme is of, like, you can, you know, we, we defeat the White Walkers, but then we defeat ourselves with what Danny is doing here in King's Landing. Uh, like you can you can find love and you can find true happiness if you really work hard, if you if you conquer your pride, if you look in the mirror and decide that you can embrace who's looking back at you. But sometimes you go back to being an addict. Like, unfortunately, that's the case for some people that you relapse and sometimes you relapse fatally. Uh, and I think that Jamie's arc ultimately ends up being a pretty tragic one. And again, I'm, I'm not mad at it on paper, assuming that there were more pages in the mix. Like, again, like, I just feel mm -hmm. like there just it just wasn't it just wasn't. I was more annoyed with the you're on Greyjoy fight. Yeah, that was stupid. I was so mad at Euron Greyjoy being like, I'm the man who kills Jamie. Let's shut uh, up. Yeah. When he washed up Ugh. on the shore, I was like, oh, come on. Ugh, Euron. Oh, my God. I hate him. <laughs> hate him. So glad he's dead. Okay. Ah, oh, God. Uh, Steve Davis, he, he writes in, as he often does, uh, prolific. Steve Davis. He wrote in both about Cersei and Jamie in separate feedbacks. Uh, I'll only read one of them, Steve. I'm sorry. There's just a lot to get to. Steve says, people are saying that Jamie's arc was ruined by going back to die with Cersei. I disagree with that. Uh, but I think there was something major that didn't track with his character. All of a sudden, uh, he tells Tyrion, to be honest, I never really cared for the people of King's Landing, innocent or otherwise. First of all, in his biggest scene of the series, he came out to Brienne by saying that he saved the population of King's Landing, and that seemed like a very important part of his life, even if he didn't publicly take credit for it. Furthermore, he's a knight. His oath is to protect the innocent, and he goes on and on and on in the show about keeping his oath. So I guess Steve is saying he likes the arc for Jamie ultimately, but he doesn't like how Jamie kind of was a little selfish in the end rather than caring for other people. Like, does this version of Jamie track with the Kingslayer story for you, I guess? Uh, I mean, I think that Jamie definitely, you know, had growth as a, uh, as a character. I, I mean, I, I didn't find it to be, you know, out, out of character for, for Jamie. And uh, I do think that, uh, that he, had the intention of going there to be with Cersei, but also, you know, there was like uh, the somewhat noble cause that uh, he was going to convince Cersei to leave with him so that the city could be saved as well. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Good point. I like yeah. that. His interests were mutually aligned. Um, 
people who were mad about a lot in the episode seem to be unified about at least one death, which I'm still debating it. I'm, I'm going to be obviously I'm going to be writing like the best deaths of the final season ranked. Uh, and I'm, I'm working on that as we speak, obviously. Uh, I think that this is my number one right now. It's not it's not etched in stone, but his brain is on some rocks. It's Maester Kyburn. Yeah, uh, that was good. Uh, We'll give it to Fitzy, Sir Fitzy. Uh, it says, Kyburn dying in the exact same position that Rob found him in at Hall in season three, looking dead on a pile of rubble and bodies, was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hadn't even thought about how Kyburn like, physically ends exactly as he physically began on the show. Uh, that is pretty brilliant, and I hadn't even thought about that. I I felt pretty confident that Kyburn was going to get killed by the mountain at some point, so mm-hmm. I was happy to 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 score that point. Uh, but just the way that it played out was remarkable. Just like the the very uh, efficient death of Maester Kyburn, followed by Cersei just like uh, bypassing the scooching Kleganes. by, yeah. Super great. Super great, as Noah Hank would say. Uh, Clegane Bowl. We were asked if we are satisfied with the Clegane Bowl from Jack from May. He says, I thought it was the second best part of the episode, only behind Jamie and Tyrion's conversation in the tent. The fight was really cool, and I loved the symbolic plummet into fire. Mm-hmm. It was fine. What would have made it better? Not so much hype? Uh, I don't know what ultimate uh, you know, hype you know how it was ever going to deliver on the hype uh of the game ball uh i did uh would it have been better if the mountain didn't look like uncle fester underneath the hat (laughs) yeah uh that was fine i thought that was kind of a cool reveal from legion that's kind of a cool reveal um you know uh i'm not a physics guy i'm not sure necessarily if uh, i rewatched uh that scene today the hound driving the mountain into a wall like they they, they burst through a brick wall like yeah. the kool-aid man oh Kool-Aid yeah man. yeah <laughs> yeah like, uh i don't know i don't know like i know the castle is structurally not sound um i don't know uh if you have like a uh that uh that's seemed a, a little bit like uh i don't know if that would work but i'm not gonna uh pick too many nits with it it was fine uh, DJ LaBelle Klein had some uh, some nits to pick with it. Uh, I we actually agreed on on this. I uh, said this is one example of where I think the writing has gotten off the rails. The Hound's death. A good writer puts fire in the background during the Clegane Bowl for badass cinematography. Check. A clever writer has the Hound die by fire as a sick sort of irony, I guess. But check. A great writer would put fire between Sandor and the mountain forcing him to overcome his fear of fire to reach his brother and achieve his goal, maybe based on something he learned from Arya, his most significant relationship in the show. And then, who knows, maybe question whether killing his brother is necessary at all, but then still do it because he's already had his chance of redemption and that ship has sailed. But I'm not surprised that D&D never got past clever. Uh, do you think that it would have been more clever? I, I really would have liked for the Hound, if he was going to die by fire anyway, to like have made that choice. I think he just ends up like kind of like in a fit of rage, like throwing himself and his brother through the yeah, wall. And he doesn't he know what's on the other side. Yeah, I don't think he died of that, uh, that brick wall. 
I've gone back and forth on this a little bit. My first instinct was I really wish that like he had seen the fire and there's a moment where he sees the fire and he sees the mountain. Maybe there's like something where like he realizes like fire is effective on the mountain uh, isn't working. And then he chooses like I if I'm going to be able to defeat this guy, then I have to push myself into the fire. I even like wrote that when I interviewed myself, which is still a thing that I'm doing uh, on on THR. I wrote that I, I really wish that we had seen that. And then the interviewer version of me uh, said that I'm getting hung up on really stupid details and I really need to move on. I think he might be right. Uh, I think that version of me might be right because the more I've thought about it, I actually think that maybe it really does work that uh, the physics of it aside, which I can't weigh in on, I think maybe it really does work that the Hound at that point is filled with so much corrupt, like, uh, you know, that, that his vengeance has corrupted his heart so badly. And he's like bleeding out the eyes and he is like yeah. laughing in the face of the fruitlessness of, of what he's doing, that it is such like a gory uh, depiction of just how useless vengeance is uh, that he just throws himself in the and his, you know, the object of his ire through mm-hmm. a wall over the side. And he just gets consumed in the in the in the fire, like the worst thing possible for him. And that it kind of robs him of the agency because him resisting the urge to to, you know, succumb to vengeance like he's he's already damned himself. I would have liked for the hound to have found like some measure of redemption and he like finds some measure of that, I guess, by like really saving Arya and giving her the opportunity to live. Uh, which I love. I think that, that was unexpected. And I think it's like a, a cool, uh, much better version of what I had pitched for Arya, uh, frankly. Yeah. I'm really happy that the show went the way that they did with Arya and not the way that I'd been worried about for a while. Uh, but I think I think for the Hound, for him to just be consumed by the fire of uh, the, of how awful his pursuit has been is probably better than giving him like the heroic moment of him being like, the only way is to throw ourselves into the fire. Like that's a little too... Uh, revenge of the sith probably okay josh i know we're running out of time i I would love to just get your thoughts on aria and where we stand with her she was the focus of so much of the end of the episode finds that white horse at the end of the show it's not bran okay uh i i didn't think it was some people do and it's not there's no way i mean i guess there's a way but i think it'd be dumb okay so where are we going with aria I think we may ne- we may never see Arya again. I, I'm sure Whoa. we probably I'm, I'm sure we probably will. But I think that there's a version of the story where that could be the final moment that you get Arya Stark. She's just too big of a character for us not to see her in the finale if she's still alive. But I think what we'll get from Arya, I think that the whole arc, which which I liked a lot more than a lot of people did, it seems, uh, is you know the moment that the Hound says to Arya like you don't want to become like me. Like it seems like she really gets it finally. Uh, but she has she has gone so far into the heart of darkness uh, herself over the years. I mean, she butchered an entire house and fed them to each other in the form of pies and poisoned them with wine and stuff. Uh, she's a pretty dark individual. This is somebody who killed like the avatar of death already this mm-hmm. season. She's Wait, somebody he's who... At, because he's blue? Uh, that's why he's the avatar of death? Yeah. Because he's blue? Yeah. Is that a joke that I'm not getting right now? It's a... Uh avatar joke oh <laughs> it was a joke i wasn't getting but it was a good one i should have gotten it's fine that. it was fine i like it yeah uh she's on pandora 
yeah, she she's she kills that guy. She kills the Night King. That's an incredibly ridiculous thing. And so she has every reason to buy into her own hype, which is why I was really, you know, starting to get even more worried instead of Don't less get cocky, worried. Kid. Yeah, exactly. Like I was like, oh God, here she goes. And I think that that's what she was doing. And what was the big surprise to me, and I loved it, was the hound. You know, she she's been trained at the knee of so many different killers along the way, and she had such little in the way of love and comfort along the way uh, that it was mostly just like learning how to be a badass that one of the biggest badasses she's met who by virtue of just like being a kid and someone who was like in his charge, she transformed him back in the day, right? Like she softened his heart just by virtue of being a relative innocent who was being corrupted by the way of the world. And here he is in this final moment where he knows he's not walking down these stairs that he's about to ascend. She doesn't have to come with him and he can, he can do a kindness to her and be like, don't come with me. You'll look like this at best. You'll probably be Hmm. dead. And she listens to it. And that's like that's so beautiful that like the hound like in his own way kind of ends up being this father figure to her. And I think that that's fabulous. But she is now like she's gotten so close that when she's finally kind of having her, you know, her her moment of sobriety where she's kind of having her moment of like, what the hell am I doing? She's so close to it, not just close to Cersei, but so far into the center of not even the center, like really deep into King's Landing that it's going to take a lot of hard work to get the hell out of there. And given the conditions of the city, it's going to be she's going to see some terrible stuff. So I think not only has she kind of been like incentivized to live a little bit. I think then what she's forced to see happen of just how precious life is, uh, just how fragile we are, how quickly and easily we can just be rendered into ash. We could be eating an apple one minute and just be gone the next. Uh, and that's a much pleasant version, more pleasant version of like what happens to the people she encounters along the way that I think like she could get on that horse And there's a version where the lesson she learns is like, that was all so awful. And I have to stop the person who is responsible for it to make sure it never happens again. But I feel like that's the wrong lesson for her to have learned. And I think that that's not what the hound was trying to tell her to do. The hound was trying to tell her, live your life, believe in people a little more, like go, go and like, you know, if you're not be a kid, at least like, don't be like me. And I think that when she sees like the mother and the child and how like even in the final moments of their lives, uh, in th- those final seconds, they were able to like be together. Uh, I, I get the sense that Arya feels like maybe there is life for me out there somewhere. And I don't know where it is. It's, it might not be back at Winterfell cause that's too familiar. It might not be here in King's Landing cause it's basically gone. Uh, maybe it's not back in Bravos cause they probably, I shouldn't set foot in Bravos. Uh, but she has said before, and Dr. Mike is a big fan of this theory as well. Of uh, she said once upon a time, what's West of Westeros? Uh, so, you know, we don't know the answer to that. The, the, you know, the far side Mm -hmm. of the map is pretty unknown. So for Arya, who has traveled so far and wide and now has like kind of maybe this like renewed sense of, of wonder at the possibility of life of like the chaotic nature of life, but also like the beauty that it possibly contains. Maybe she's going to be looking to get some of that for herself. Uh, and maybe the final note that we get from Arya Stark, it's not that she's riding a horse towards vengeance, but maybe she's riding a horse towards like actually 
going and living somewhere. So if we never see her again, I'm fine with it. I think we probably will see her again. Yeah. And I think that her final scene will be something that at least kind of like mimics mirrors that scene at the end of season four, where she sets sail for Bravos. Except this time, I think she's going to be like setting forth towards the unknown. And uh, which yeah, I like, that would be nice to see. I think that if it happens, I feel like if we get it at the end of the episode, I just can't imagine after how she was so personally affected by everything that we saw in this episode, that she would walk away from everything going on to let her brother, at least, uh, you know, in terms of her family uh, relationship, be with this person who just committed this atrocity. I, I just can't see her cutting and running to go off and uh, go on a, a, a gap year. Yeah, uh, but I I think it wouldn't be a gap year. I think that that would be like, you know, that's that's her life now is, you know, John John said to her, you know, an episode ago, like if you if the only people you consider your allies are the people you grew up with, it's going to be like a pretty lonely existence. Uh, And she's met a lot of people along the way, but she's never trusted anybody. I think maybe she like wants to, you know, maybe it would be good for her to like make a new family, you know, find a new pack sort of the way that Naomi nymeria did mm. uh maybe that is her you know maybe she's nymeria uh you know nymeria seems like she's doing pretty well and i think for her to like go back and then like go on like an assassination plot against daenerys i, I can see it feels very game of thrones but it also just feels like a big regression from the journey she seemed to be on in this episode hey game of thrones will uh throw i know some i know <laughs> i right. know I Josh, uh, I, I know we got to wrap this up today. I mean, we could probably go on for another uh, two or three hours, but uh, there's uh, more Game of Thrones that you need to jump into. So, Josh, any, any closing thoughts or anything sure. else you want to say? Uh, death draft update. Uh, you scored a point on the board this week. Uh, you got Varys right. So the yeah, death but draft. I think I have is, Daenerys in the living draft. Uh, so so. Uh, you have two points in the death draft. Uh, we've both scored twice. Uh, I had the Night King and Barrack. You had Theon and Varys. We have two people that are still alive that could die in the finale. I have Arya Stark. You have Jon Snow. I think that you have a chance to score there. Uh, I will completely reverse my stance, and I think Arya Stark is going to be okay. I yeah. think Arya is going to make it. I think Arya is going to make it. I think that you could draw blood uh, in the Who Will Survive draft. I think I'm probably fine. I've got Sansa, Gendry, and Samwell. I think they're all going to be fine. You've got Davos, Tyrion, and Daenerys. Mm. I think you're. I think you're going to lose Daenerys. I think Daenerys is going to die. I think you're going to die. Uh, then who will rule? You have no Iron Throne, and I have Daenerys. Uh, I don't think Daenerys will rule long term. I wouldn't mind like a. Do you get a point a for that? If she's point. ruling like a, in the yeah, final yeah. episode. At like some point? I think like a, like a, like a quarter point mm. wouldn't be the. I mean, I would accept it, but that would have to be your choice. You'd Real ticky tack. Yeah, you'd have to <laughs> you'd have to decide whether or not to give that to me. Uh, so we'll see. I think you'll I think you'll score for no throne. I think you will lose a point for Daenerys, uh, and then uh, if Jon Snow dies, I think that that puts you over the top. Uh, okay. Otherwise, I I think uh, we'll I think see. maybe. We'll, yeah, see. we'll see Sunday see night we'll get into everything then in one week's time we've got our post finale feedback show GOT at postshowrecaps.com of course follow everything that Josh is doing over on THR THR.com slash Game of Thrones at Round Howard on Twitter I'm at Rob Sistrino uh, anything else 
no. Uh, what a great time here on on the podcast. And, you know, Game Threads get, get some things right, gets a lot of things wrong. Uh, your, your balance At varies. At least it's not boring. On, at least it's not boring, but I mean, this is why I said it's not like a top 10 show for me. Okay. All right. <laughs> it has uh, its moments where it's really frustrating. <laughs> all right, everybody. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. This episode of Post Show Recaps is sponsored by our friends over at True Car 60 Seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial is going to last. You know what else? You can do it in about a minute. You can get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, and listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or from home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy and after that you can bring in your car and they'll check it out with you together then you can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride so when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car check out true car today